Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Psalm 119 verses 41 to 56. I'll give you some, some time to bring it up. Or May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings, and I will not be put to shame. For I delight in your commands, because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may mediate on your decrees. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves me life. The arrogant mock me unmercifully, but I do not turn from your law. I remember, Lord, your ancient laws, and I find comfort in them. Indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. Your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. In the night, Lord, I remember your name, that I may keep your law. This has been my practice. I obey your precepts. The uh, second reading today is, um, well, that's long. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1 to 18. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense for those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on a human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about the oxen that God is concerned? Surely says this is for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than the hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it for free of charge, and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Thanks very much, Nick. Can I encourage you to keep 1 Corinthians 9, that passage open in front of you, uh, however you had it open. Um, let me encourage you not to close it down. Then you can check that what I'm saying kind of marries up with the Word of God. Uh, we, uh, if you've just joined us, we're, um, we're sort of back into a series of 1 Corinthians. I'm thinking this may well be where we press pause until 2023. No, not quite. Until maybe next year when we'll pick up 1 Corinthians 
again next month, December, the silly season will begin as we make our way towards Christmas and uh, perhaps we're going to start next week a little series kind of getting our heads in gear to remember together what it, how profound it is that our God came near for us and uh, so that's the plan and we're going to start singing Christmas carols, woo, who's excited, no one, yes, anyone, yeah, okay, anyway, that's what we're going to do, anyway, so stay tuned for that, anyway, we're in 1 Corinthians 9 verses 1 to 18. Uh, this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We pray now that as we look at it, uh, we would see Jesus, we would hear Jesus, we would love Jesus. Uh, Father, where we need to be corrected, correct us today. Where we need to be encouraged, encourage us this morning. Uh, Father, make us more like Jesus and, Father, more sold out to him and what he is doing in the world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I, um, I'm fascinated about what makes people tick. I remember buying a book years ago by a guy named Hugh Mackay called What Makes Us Tick, um, all about what is it that gets us human beings, you and me, up out of bed every morning. I love asking that of people. What makes you tick? What gets you going each day? Um, and I've come across uh, this week a museum that I'd love to visit. Um, here's a picture. That's the, that's the, if, if international travel ever happens ever again, I want to go to this place. Um, my kids, Stella and Sebastian, have just started surf life-saving. Um, I, w- I was hoping to be one of those parents who never had their kids in every extracurricular activity. You know, there are some people out there who just go, oh, every night of that week, it's, you know, kids are doing this and that. I was like, I'm never going to be that. I'm that, yeah. Um, my kids are soccer and dancing and, and now surf lifesaving. So anyway, this is a picture of the museum. It's on Nantucket Island uh, in Massachusetts in the US. Um, and it's, an isle, it's, a, it's a museum devoted to a volunteer organisation called the Humane Society, um, a society formed centuries ago, like a long time ago. If you wind the clock back a bit, right, um, travel on the sea used to be very, very dangerous. And because of big storms that would whip up across the Atlantic, um, combined with the rocky coastline of Massachusetts, many lives were lost, and in particular lost really close to the shore. Um, Boats would go down. And so a group of volunteers went into the surf life-saving business, and they formed the Humane Society. I think there's a little picture of... There we go, there's a little snapshot. Um, so they built these little huts right along the coastline. They had people in those huts kind of watching the sea all the time. And whenever a ship went down, word would go out and these people would devote everything they had to saving every life they possibly could. They didn't put themselves at risk for money or for reputation or recognition. They put themselves at risk because they prized human life. And to remind them what was at stake, they adopted a motto. This is what the motto was. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. It's quite a motto, isn't it? You have to go out, but you don't have to. I'm not sure that would sell very well these days, right? You know, you know, mission, you know we're going to do a mission here at North Adelaide. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. You know, anyway, um, but it seemed to work, right? It seemed to work. A lot of people signed up for the Humane Society to save lives, boats that were shipwrecked on the Atlantic, on the Massachusetts coastline. I'm curious. I'd love to see that museum one day. I'd love to read perhaps of the accounts of people who would risk everything, even their lives, to to save people they'd never even met. I wonder what made the Humane Society tick. 
Well, I've been reading about another um, person this week who risked everything to save lives of people he didn't know. Not an obs- uh, and I discovered what made him tick in a really strange place. It wasn't in a little obscure island museum off the coast of the States. It was in the middle of a first-century letter called 1 Corinthians, and in particular, chapter 9. And the sentence that stood out to me was there in verse 12 of chapter 9. But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. It's not as dramatic, is it, as the motto of the humane society. But it's still all to do with an attitude, a a mindset, a priority that made this man tick. And they matter hugely when you bring the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ across cultures. It's worth digging around, I think, in the exhibits of this particular ancient museum and this chapter to discover what this verse, that verse, is really all about. Um, If you were here with us a couple of weeks ago when we looked at chapter 8, you remember that we began looking in chapter 8 with a new section and looking at a food issue, food offered to idols, obscure to many of us, but painfully relevant, actually, to not just first century Corinthians. Oh, yeah, there's the guy. Um, That was the big question, the food issue, to eat or not to eat. That is the question. That's a picture of Michael Lindsay, by the way, um, on his better days, I reckon. No, um, we looked at a food issue. Um, Food issue that we looked at in first century was uh, painfully relevant to first century Corinthians, also painfully relevant to some people here who perhaps come from an Asian background, who food offered to idols is actually still a present issue. Uh, we began with a food issue, and it focused not so much on food, but on an, on a, on an attitude problem. Uh, Paul said, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If the knowledge of God tells us what freedoms we have, the love of God shapes whether or not we use those freedoms for people around us. And Paul even explains, right, in chapter 8, why love for other people might lead him to become a vegetarian. You'll have to read about chapter 8 if you want to follow up on that, but that's you know, for another day. But as we come to chapter 9, the topic for Paul hasn't actually changed. It's the same attitude that he's dealing with, and it's an attitude that affects more than what Paul eats for dinner. It actually, it's a love that affects more than just his fellow Christian brother or sister. It's actually a love for those who've not yet heard or responded to the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we explore this chapter today, we're going to see what makes Paul the Apostle tick. And we're going to realise, right, if we were ever tempted to write off the Apostle Paul as you know, a bit weak or a bit of a pushover or spineless, as someone who didn't have the guts to just enjoy the Christian freedom that he'd found in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to discover that Paul's discovered something even bigger. He says, we'll put up with anything in order to not hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ going out. All right, let's have a look at two exhibits in this museum tour of 1 Corinthians. And there's the first exhibit. It's not really an exhibit. It's a question. Um, Don't we have the right? Have chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians open. Let's take a look at these verses quite quickly. Uh, Paul begins the chapter by saying, I qualify as... An apostle. Have a look at verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? That's a massive qualification for an apostle of Jesus Christ, right? Having seen the risen Lord Jesus, 
after he died for the sins of the world, come back to life. That's a huge thing. He goes on, Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul says, I planted the church that I'm writing to. Interestingly, Paul planted the church in Corinth, um, and then he, he was normally what Paul does, he plants a church, sets it up, three, a few weeks later, he jets to another town. In this case, Paul planted the church and then stayed for 18 months. So Paul's kind of like both the planter and the pastor of these people. He knows them really well. And so Paul says, don't I qualify as an apostle? Um, Secondly, Paul then says, I'm an apostle. I qualify as an apostle. And verses 3 to 6, he says, I have the right to the support as an apostle. And throughout, there's this recurring question. Don't don't we have the right? Don't we have the right? So don't we have the right, verse 4, to food and drink? Don't we have the right, verse 5, to taking a believing wife along with us? You see, it's a travelling ministry, and the Christian ministry is not intended to wreck marriages. And so, of course, yeah, bring your wife along. We'll put her up as well, you know, like totally as you come along. Don't we have the right, verse 6? It's hard to see the phrase in our translation, but literally, is it only I and Barnabas who do not have the right not to have to work for a living? Paul says, I qualify as an apostle I have the right to support, and I'm not making it up, Paul says. Paul spends the next bunch of verses establishing that right. So firstly, he says, it's a right, I have a right to support based on just simple observation in the world. So verse 7, it's how life is. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? We've got a couple of former sort of military people in our midst, and I'm thinking they probably wouldn't have just served for free. You know, you pay your military people. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? You see, it's just simple human observation. Do I say this, though, Paul says, merely from a human point of view? No, it also comes from an understanding of God's law. Have a look at verses 8 and 9. Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it's written in the law of Moses, and the people he's writing to are going, yeah, we, we like the law of Moses. Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Paul says if you want to understand what it means for us today, well, it's about the right to support, to be able to do this ministry. Verse 11, if we've sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest among you? And if others have the right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? By the way, if pastors, preachers or ministers ever want to put themselves on too high a pedestal, it's a good reminder here that the law of Moses describes them as an ox. Sort of keeps us humble. Um, But it does say that there is a right to support, to keep living. Paul says, he goes on, the temple practice even shows this as well. Have a look at verse 13. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? And that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So Paul says, I qualify as an apostle. I have the right to the support as an apostle. It's a, it's a right that's established in all different places, in general observation, in the law, in the temple. And Paul insists on his rights. He insists on his rights. 
And he insists on his rights for two reasons. One, I think, is for the sake of other people who are doing gospel ministry as well. He's not trying to kind of undermine them or subvert them, you know, as if, well, if I'm not, you know, if I'm not receiving the support, neither should they. It's genuinely their right if you're an apostle or a gospel worker. Indeed, Paul doesn't refuse support in every situation, as we'll see in a few moments. I mean, just to move from like AD 55 to 2020, it's right, for example, that pastors and members of a ministry team or a staff team at church are supported by their local church family. It's right. And I am. And so this morning, I want to say, like, I am well looked after by you guys. Thank you. Just relax. This is not a whinge or a complaint sermon, by the way. This is not where we go off and say, but actually, you know, like, I wouldn't... No, no, I'm not going to go there. Paul insists on his rights for the sake of others. But first and foremost, Paul insists on his rights to explain himself. See, there are people sitting in judgment on the Apostle Paul. Do you see it there in verse 3? Did you spot it? This is my defence to those who sit in judgment on me. And his defence begins with a question, don't we have the right? You see, there are some in Corinth who are writing off Paul as being weak, as being a pushover. Some are actually saying, Paul, you're just too cheap to be an apostle. I mean, apostles command the big bucks, right? And you're not. Like, maybe you're not quite who you think you are, but they haven't begun to understand who Paul is. I mean, there are some world religions, right, where it's not enough simply to have rights but you must be seen to be exercising those rights, to show your, your power and your domination and your, your authority. There's a great book called The Islamist, um, a story of one man's experience of a Muslim group living in the east end of London. And you can read something of that mindset, living in that sort of context. But don't hear me wrong, it's not just restricted to Islam, right? There are, I guess, in any organised religion, there are people who expect their leaders to be powerful and authoritarian and, you know, throw their weight around. In Corinth, right, they expected their leaders to look strong, powerful, impressive, and also pricey, right? Um, you know that phrase we have, you get what you pay for? You heard that? You, know, you get what you pay for? Um, sometimes, regretfully, we didn't pay enough for it and we, you know, we get the consequences for that. Um, can be a mentality that carries over into church, right? Have you, have you heard the new Christian speaker in town? No, 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 what's he like? Oh, he's great. What does he charge? Nothing. It's free. Oh, it can't be all that good then. Paul didn't look for any support. Not because he wasn't entitled to it, not because he was too frightened to ask for it, but because what makes him tick has nothing to do with his rights and what he's entitled to. Actually, it's principled self-denial. And we're all Corinthian enough to kind of lose interest the moment I say anything like that. But it's stunning. Principled self-denial. It's It's staggering. Don't we have the right? That's the first museum exhibit we're looking at this morning. Come around the corner into the next room, and uh, here's the next exhibit. Oh, flick forward. There we go, museum exhibit number two. Paul says, we don't, don't we have the right? And then you discover his punchline. We did not use this right. Um, have a look with me. Three times uh, Paul says this. Have a look, verse 12. If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it 
all the more, um, you know. But I've not used any, I did not use the right. Uh, verse 15, I have not used any of these rights. And I'm writing this in hope that you will do such things for me. Isn't it beautiful there? I've not used any of these rights. And then that little subtle, and I'm not writing this in hope that you will do such things for me. Have you ever received one of those prayer letters from people that says, you know, God is good, life is tough, we don't have any money, but we rejoice in the Lord's provision for all our needs. And if you'd like, however, to contribute to the Simon Jackson Holiday Fund, here are the EFT details. That's not what Paul's doing. Let me say again, at City Light Church North Adelaide, you are very generous to me. I'm not preaching for a pay rise this morning. We did not use the right, and he says it a third time, right there in verse 18. So not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. It's extraordinary. Paul spends 14 verses insisting that he has all these rights, and when he's drummed that message home, he says again and again and again, we did not use them. And it wasn't weakness. It wasn't that he was a pushover. No, Paul had different priorities. It wasn't that he was feeble. It's just that Paul had something much more important to share. And here's what it is. Look again at verse 12. But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. To hinder the gospel of Christ, to put an obstacle in the way of the good news. Paul uses here a military term. It refers to putting an obstruction or cutting up the road so as to slow down or prevent an advancing army from sort of, you know, getting to the, you know, where they want to be, making it difficult or impossible for troops to kind of make it down the road. Paul's saying he'd rather do anything rather than do that to the gospel, to slow down its advance. Never mind what his rights are. It's not weakness, it's selflessness. Look at the other way he puts it in verse 18. He talks about offering the gospel free of charge. Offering the gospel free of charge. That's Paul's boast. That's his reward. His boast and reward is not the privilege of being able to preach the good news wherever he goes. He must do that, right? That, that is all bound up with Paul's conversion when he bumped into the risen Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road and then he's calling to be a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles, to the nations. Paul's got to preach the gospel. That's, that's, his, that's what he's been called to do. His boast, his reward for Paul is to be able to preach that good news free of charge, so that no one has any obstacle in hearing it. So no one could say, oh, Paul, he's, he's too expensive for me. I couldn't afford to attend. I, I, I heard of a church the other day in America where to get two tickets to the church gathering was just under $5,000. Like, I'm thinking if we want to raise the revenue around here, we should start doing something like that. Five, $5,000 for two people? I'm thinking I want the gold seats at the front with the glasses of Chardonnay and some blinis with salmon and cream cheese. You know, $5,000. Brothers and sisters, the gospel of grace comes free of charge at the point of delivery. Remember, Paul, he's a church planter, not in the way that most do it these days, where they take 50 or 100 people from somewhere else and just lob them in and go, let's gather a church around that. Now, Paul, Paul, 
Paul and a few people would just turn up in a city. They were the only followers of Jesus, as far as they knew, in that place. And they'd preach the gospel. And by God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, a few people would come to know Jesus and a church would form. And then we go to the next place. For example, like in Philippi, that's what Paul did. Paul rolled into Philippi, an ancient city, preached the gospel. By God's grace, a bunch of men, women and kids got saved. A church was planted and then he took off. He asked the church at Philippi, can I have some money? But it wasn't to keep him going while he was there. He said, hey, guys, can you give me some money so that when I go to the next place, we can plant a church there? That's the only reason he asked for money. He, does, he's, he wants support, but it's not for him. It's for the potential to preach the gospel to people free of charge. One reason why we give money here at City Light Church North Adelaide is so that we can offer the good news of Jesus, the gospel to people in North Adelaide, in Prospect, in the inner north, to the ends of the earth. That's why we give money. And Paul says we'll put up with anything to be able to do that. You know, even in Paul's case, right, in order to avoid having to ask the local church to give him money so he could put food on the table, people knew, you know what he did, he was a tent maker, wasn't he? making tents to earn some money so that he could offer the gospel freely to people around him. Now, when I say a tent maker, don't think of like a salesperson at Kathmandu or, you know, BCF and fun, boating, camping, fishing. Don't think of that. Think of, think of working with leather. Think of stinky, sweaty, smelly, disgusting, staining work. Work that no one really wants to do, a job that was sneered at particularly by the Corinthians and would be probably sneered at by most of us today. Yeah, that was no job for an apostle, no job for a leader, certainly not for a, a true apostle. But Paul goes, I'll do anything in order to allow the gospel to go out free of charge. Paul doesn't stand on his dignity, he doesn't stand on his rights. The gospel was way too important for that. Paul says, we did not use this right. On the contrary, we did not put any roadblock in the way. We didn't put anything in the way. That, that would devastate him if that was the case, to hinder the progress of the gospel. And brothers and sisters, that's, that's not the mark of a pushover, is it? That's the mark of someone who's captured by the grace of God, loves the Lord Jesus and loves people around him. He's motivated by love. Well, that's Paul. And that's the end of the museum tour. Let's pray. No, um, that's the end of the museum tour. What about us? What are the lessons here for us? What's the attitude that you and I ought to adopt? What ought to make us tick if we're followers of Jesus Christ here in this place this morning in this city? Because here's the challenge for us, brothers and sisters. Here's what we have to do today. We're called to be followers of Jesus, Christians, in a rights culture, aren't we? We're called to be followers of Jesus. We're called to be Christians in a rights culture, living as a Christian in a rights culture. How do we tick? How do we live well, men and women called by the Lord Jesus, in that kind of society? Because it's hard to deny, isn't it, that we live in a rights culture. Everyone seems to have rights Everyone seems to trumpet those rights from the rooftop all the time. They come in all shapes and sizes, rights, right? You have your human rights, equal rights, LGBTIQA plus rights, um, indigenous rights, land rights, workers' rights, children's rights, women's rights, and father's rights. Let's not forget father's rights, of course. Um, at their best right, rights are a search for justice, aren't they? We want what's fair for everyone. But at their worst... 
in their expression of selfishness, self-interest, you know, stuff you, right? I'll do anything I'm entitled to. Don't care about anyone else. That's really Corinthian, actually. I'll do whatever I want to do. doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. You know, if that's what our society starts to do, that's when, and even if that's what our church starts to do, that's when we as Christians have to kind of smash that idol, right? When my rights become my ultimate guide, then I've found another God to follow other than the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Christians, as Christians, we must expose it for the false God that it is. But remember how Paul did it, did it? Paul says, don't pretend there are no rights. Because if we pretend, if we say, oh, there are no rights, that just encourages abuse, doesn't it? Um, let's stick with the application that Paul uses. Someone told me this week um, of the church, a church treasurer talking to another kind of friend in that church, um, talking about their senior pastor. And the, and the treasurer said to this friend, look, you keep him humble and we'll keep him poor. You keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. Tragically, right, there are not just pastors out there who abuse their position for financial gain. There are churches out there who abuse and exploit their pastors. You know, oh, that pastor, he's he's called by God. You know, it's a special vocation. We don't have to pay him that much because, you know, he's doing it for the Lord. Paul doesn't pretend he has no rights. He says that just loses people their dignity, loses people their freedom, leaves people just as a doormat. It's not the picture that Paul paints here. Paul says, I have rights, I have freedom, I'm entitled to support. What's remarkable is what the Apostle Paul does with all that. He says, I don't pretend that I don't have rights, but he says, I am free not to exercise those rights. See, I can have rights, but I can also be free not to exercise those rights. I actually think that's true freedom, actually. When we have freedom, and yet then we go, you know what? I'm not going to exercise that freedom. That is, I think that's getting close to being truly human, actually, and free. And I think that's, you know, to, to, go from, to go to that point right where we go, I've got all these rights, but I'm not going to use them. I'm free not to use them. I think that's possibly one of the most subversive things we can do in, a, in our culture as Christians, in a culture that worships its rights, to insist we've got them and then not use them. So you might say, Simon, I have the right to a normal standard of living. And I would say, yeah, you do. But you're also free to live really simply and to give money away to gospel causes locally and around the world. I'll never forget him. His name's James. Um, James is a man who made his fortune um, three or four times over living in Sydney. I used to be his pastor at a church in Sydney. And he was a huge supporter of gospel projects right across Australia. At his funeral back in June, it was one of those odd sort of Zoom sort of YouTube funerals because of lockdown. Um, Someone paid this remarkable tribute to him. I'll never forget this. Someone said, James could have died a wealthy man. By the grace of God, he did not. Isn't it amazing? James could have died a wealthy man. By the grace of God, he did not. He had the right to a normal standard of living. He probably had the right to a well above normal standard of living. But he gave his money away, a lot of his money away for gospel causes. 
I have the right to spend my time how I like with the people I like. Absolutely. Yeah, you do. But you're also free to give up some of your time to minister to rough sleepers, to, to join an easy English group here in Adelaide, reaching migrants, you know, teaching migrants English and then you know, befriending them. You have that right. You have the right, absolutely, to spend the time however I like with the people I like. Absolutely, you also have the right and the freedom to, to invite that couple around from church who are a little bit hard to get along with and show them great warmth and hospitality. You're free to do that. I have the right, Jacko, to four weeks annual leave. In fact, maybe some of you have five weeks annual leave. Yeah, you do. And you're also free to use some of that annual leave to go on a beach mission or to serve in the kitchen cooking meals for another church's house party or weekend away. You're free to do that. I'm entitled to climb the corporate ladder as high as I can possibly get. Yep, yeah, you have the right to do that. And perhaps that is the most Christian thing for you to do. But I've known followers of Jesus who've not sought promotion so they can use their gifts more fully serving the body of Christ that they're connected to at that particular time. Oh, Jacko, I'm, I'm entitled to climb the corporate ladder, to soar to the top of my company with all that I can. Sure, that might be the most godly thing you can do, but just occasionally it might be right for someone or a few among us to stop that particular job they're doing and give their lives to training for and then serving part-time or full-time in vocational gospel work. That speaks volumes to our church and to our world, a world that believes that our saviours are education and medicine and engineering, because we've got a lot of engineers in the town. But, you know, our world thinks like that. Oh, if only we can get better educated and better health and better buildings, then we'll be fine. Actually, one of the, the greatest need of our world is that people know Jesus, yeah? And when someone says, no, I'm not going to climb the corporate ladder, I'm actually going to step out of that and serve Jesus vocationally with my life in a vocational way. That's not for everyone. But it's a noble thing to desire. It speaks volumes. And I know I shouldn't do this because it's not in my notes, but here's one more. I have the right to be part of whatever church I like, a church that fills my needs and fills my tank and, you know, is, ticks all my preferences. Actually, yeah, you do. But you also have the freedom to say, you know what, I'm just going to stay where I am and I'm going to dig in and serve and love the people that I've been called to serve and love at this time and set aside my preferences and set aside that right and exercise love. That's the one that I didn't really think through and maybe could cause dramas. But anyway. But here's the thing, right? Live with the gospel. More important than rights. That's the big idea. That's the Christian way to live, isn't it? That's how our Lord Jesus lived. You know, he was entitled to glory. He chose suffering. He was entitled to justice. He chose injustice. He was entitled to the respect of every person. And guess what he chose? He chose mockery. He was entitled to a life of pain-free ease and comfort. He settled for a cruel and agonising death on a rugged Roman cross on Calvary. He was entitled to a loving, eternal relationship with his father. And guess what he went for? He went for God-forsakenness. 
Jesus lived and died with the gospel more important than his rights. It's only right that his followers would do the same, yes? Each time we live with the gospel more important than our rights, we chip away at the idolatry of our culture who says no rights are so important above all else. We reflect in our own little ways, right? The one who on the cross lived out the humane society's motto, you have to go out, but you don't have to come back. Brothers and sisters, let's live with the gospel more important than our rights. As I wrap it up, the humane society has changed a lot over the years, I'm told. After a while, the US Coast Guard, does that sound American? Does that sound impressive? The US, yeah, great. I've got an affirmation from an American. The US, after a few years, right, the US Coast Guard kind of came to take over the process of rescuing people. Um, For a time, the Humane Society and the US Coast Guard kind of worked, you know, hand in glove together. But eventually, the pros, the professionals, took over. They're better trained, and those guys, they get paid for it, right? So let them do the job. So volunteers stopped manning. Um, Just go back one. There you go. Look at these dudes. Guys like that, they stopped manning those huts after a while because, bang, here we go, the US Coast Guard. Look at them. So impressive. They came flying and boating in. They stopped manning those huts. They stopped keeping an eye on the sea. They stopped looking out for boats that might be wrecked and lives that needed to be saved. But a strange thing happened, right? They couldn't bring themselves, the humane society, to kind of disband and stop altogether. I have on good authority that the society kind of still exists today. Uh, The members now meet every now and then to eat lunch together or have dinner and enjoy each other's company. They're just not in the business of saving lives anymore. And I guess it's fine for them, right? I imagine the US Coast... I mean, look at them. I imagine the US Coast Guard does a more efficient job at rescuing people capsized and in danger off the coast of the Atlantic. It's replaced the Humane Society as the most effective way of kind of doing it. And the Humane Society, absolutely, they have the right to meet together and they have the right to enjoy dinner together whenever they like. That's fine for them. But here's the thing. It's just that nothing's changed when it comes to the church. Nothing's replaced the church. You and I are the most effective way for family and for friends and for uni students we hang out with and work colleagues we associate with. We are the most effective way for people discovering the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a right as a church here to all kinds of things. But if the church lives by its rights, if we just enjoy, you know, warm, almost socially distanced gatherings like this here on Sundays, and if we just enjoy warm little DGs during the week, if that's, if that's what we do, then we, we won't be saving lives anymore. So the dangers of good churches, churches with good histories, good names, good reputations with friendly people in them, Churches like City Light Church, North Adelaide. The danger is we can look impressive whilst having slipped into just enjoying each other's company and and living by what we're entitled to do. Someone needs to keep asking the question, 
Are we at City Light Church North Adelaide still in the life-saving business? I pray, God, that the answer is yes. Should we pray together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Lord, thank you, Father, for the way that your word challenges us, it comforts us when we're uneasy and discomforted, it discomforts us when we're comfortable. And Father, we pray this morning that, Father, you would um, make us more like Jesus, who had the gospel more important in his life than his own rights. Likewise, make us more like the Apostle Paul, who likewise, although he had rights, decided to not use those rights for the sake of making Jesus known. And so, Father, make us each one here individually and collectively as a church here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. Make us, Father, more like Jesus, more like Paul. Help us to live with the gospel as more important than our rights. And, Lord, that through living that way, we might shine light into our dark world, bring hope where there is hopelessness, Bring new life where there is only death. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.